a series that we've titled, Help Me to Stand. Help Me to Stand. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, where the Lord is continuing to teach us and instruct us through this book that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a church plant in the city of Ephesus, a city a lot like Las Vegas, filled with people who don't, are maybe far from God, don't know Jesus, but are coming to know Jesus. And so Paul, in this book, led and inspired by the Holy Spirit, is instructing them on how to live the life Jesus called us to live. We've been learning from the book of Ephesians for over two years now, and I'm grateful that we're in the sixth and final chapter of this book, and we're working slowly through the last part. Uh, Last week, we looked at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, which says, finally, come on, everybody say finally. Some translations say, as we wrap up, as we conclude, right? Paul's saying, finally, be strong in the Lord. Let me show it to you. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Last week, we talked about this subject out of Ephesians 6.10, stand in his strength. Stand in his strength. Hopefully, you saw some social media posts this week that helped you just to be reminded to be strong. Maybe somebody texted you this week, be strong. Maybe the Holy Spirit just spoke to you when you woke up, and he said, hey, Marissa, be strong in the Lord. Hey, Pastor Mike, be strong in the Lord. Hey, Jazz, be strong in the Lord. Whoever it is, God is instructing and encouraging you every single day you wake up to be strong in him. And he has enough strength to fill you up, and to help you stand. Amen? I'm going to clap with you, Marissa. I just want to go ahead and be reminded of that. I never want to get so familiar with the Lord's strength that I confuse it that it's mine. Right? I need him. I need his strength. But praise God, friend, we have his strength, and we can tap into it, and we need to. So finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I want to go ahead and take us further into the text this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. If you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Father, as we eat from Ephesians 6 today, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, teach us, equip us, grow us, convict us, challenge us, change us from the inside out. God, we want to be moved. We're not trying to check a box. This isn't a religious work. This is a moment to encounter God through his living and abiding and active word. And there's spiritual warfare all around, but we're standing in it. We're standing firm in your strength. Speak to us, teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, say it with me, Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, say it with me, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to, say it with me, stand firm, stand therefore. I see in this scripture four different times the author instruct us and encourage us to stand in the middle of the war. 
that there's a battle going on, that this Christian life that we're called to live is not just to skip through a rosy field with just the sun's out, etc. It's just, it's just a nice breezy day. It's going to be all gravy on our way to heaven. No, no, no. The Apostle Paul says it's a battle. You need the whole armor of God to be able to make it through this life. That there's an enemy who hates you, who hates your family, who hates everything about you, would love to take you out, deceive you, distract you, and confuse you. And he's saying, hey, that's reality. Stand. Stand firm in this battle. I want to preach a message to you this morning from the subject title, Stand Firm Against the Devil. Stand firm against the devil. We have a very real enemy when it comes to our life and especially our Christian faith. He goes by three different names in the scripture. In the Old Testament, you'll see him named as Satan. In the New Testament, Jesus gives him the nickname, the devil. His angelic name is Lucifer, and we are exposing him through the scriptures this morning. Amen? He hates this message as being preached because he would love to deceive you that he doesn't exist. He does. He's very powerful. I don't want to confuse you in this, but he's not more powerful than Christ or the Spirit of God in this room. And he's a liar and a deceiver, and he has a cycle that will be completed one day where he will be destroyed. Until then, he's trying to destroy us, and we're going to talk about that here today. Help me to stand firm against the devil. We talked about verse 10 last week. If you missed it, go ahead and go to walkchurch.com and recap verse 10. We spent a whole sermon on verse 10. Today, we're going to make our way into verse 11, and we'll go further from there. I want to, I want to request something from you. We're going to cover a lot today, all right? We're going to look at a lot of scripture. We're going to look at some different quotes. So I want you to spiritually buckle your seatbelt in, all right? And I want you to lean in and focus and put your phone on silent. Maybe just put it under your chair so you don't have to glance at it. And let's focus and let's go deeper together. If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, we're going to do this here together. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me just highlight that first part. Put on the whole armor of God. This phrase, whole armor, it's the Greek word panoplia. It means specifically to have not just one armor part, but the whole armor part. He's saying put on the whole armor. This double phrase right here, it, it's an encouragement, it's a requirement from God to say, hey, if you're going to try to walk this thing out and actually live a real Christian life, not a phony Christian life, not a creaster Christian life where you say, I show up for church on Christmas and Easter and another week other than that. Or if you say, you know what, I'm only a Christian when I'm in church, right? That stuff has to die. Like that mushy middle Christianity, like I'm kind of not, I'm kind of am, you're not. The, the Christian faith is you either are or you're not. doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means the perfect one is perfecting you, and you're getting better every single day. It says if you're going to be that, you have to have the whole armor of God. You can't just have a sword but no protection. You can't just have a protection but no Bible. You can't just have a helmet that says I'm saved and have a life that doesn't look like it. Right? A whole armor of God is going to help you stand against the schemes of the devil. I love that phrase, of God, theos, right? says, this is not just an armor that you picked up at the Halloween store. Come on, this isn't a Power Rangers uniform. 
This is the armor of God. I like how William Branch says it. He says, you need a unique kind of armor because you have a unique kind of enemy. You need the whole armor, a full armor, an armor that actually comes from God. The thing that I realized as I was studying for this sermon, check this out, I didn't know this. The armor that God is referring to in Ephesians 6 is the armor that he wears in the Bible. That God gives us the armor that he wore. In the book of 1 Samuel, you find David and he's getting ready to go to battle against a big dude named Goliath, the Philistine. And Saul says, David, in order for you to do battle against Goliath, you got to wear the king's armor. And he puts this armor on David. And David says, I can't wear this armor. I can't be you, Saul. I can't fit this armor. Take this armor off. This armor hasn't been tested and tried, so I can't wear this armor. I would just say today, let us not be a people that says, we can't wear this armor because this armor has not been tried. This armor has not been worn. In fact, it has been worn. God has worn it. And he's taken it off for us. I love how whenever Jesus calls you to do something, he equips you with everything you need for it. And not only that, whenever Jesus calls you to do something, he did it first. If you're confused and wondering about baptism, just know he did it first. If you're confused and wondering about joining a small group, he did it first, right? Jesus built the church. Jesus walked in community, walked in discipleship. Jesus went to church. He opened the word. He wore the armor. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15 through 17, Isaiah takes us deeper into God. He says, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, listen to this. He says, prophetically, if you depart from evil, if you look at the world, you look at the flesh, you look at sin, and you say, I'm departing from you. If you're going to divorce yourself from sin today, which would be a good decision, you're making yourself pray. In other words, the enemy is going to say, okay, we're coming after you. The devil and all of his minions and the demonic forces of this world will say, okay, we're going to put a target on your back. The Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice, because our God is a God of justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. This is a prophetic word of the gospel. God says, look, I'll intervene. I'll send my own arm. I'll send my son in the form of a man, and he will bring salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The same armor that Ephesians 6 is referring to is the same armor that God put on in Isaiah 59. And this armor is now being given to us. Man, I'm, Manu, thank you for that. I was more excited about it when I wrote it, right? But I, I really believe we need that. This is a tested armor. God says the whole armor is given to you. This armor is referred to in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God. It says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Right? Like, let's not just hear that and think, okay, metaphorically, the Bible is referred to a sword. No, that's used 
to get us to think battle. The, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It must mean that you are in battle, amen? You need a helmet to stay in your mind that reminds you that you're saved, right? You need righteousness to be put on like a breastplate to cover you. You, you, you need a sword for the word of God. You need to be wrapped in zeal. Come on, let's get some passionate faith in this house today. Some zealous zeal for your Christian walk. You don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm so glad Jesus wasn't ashamed to save you, right? Away. Put on the whole armor of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through each armor part, the breastplate, the helmet, the sword, the shoes, the shield, all these different armor parts. There's actually six of them. We're going to devote a sermon for each one. But here I just want to give you a snapshot that you need all of them. You need to go six for six with the armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I highlight that just to remind you that you need this armor for a reason. This isn't just putting armor on to put armor on. It would be kind of interesting if I showed up with a whole basketball uniform on from the jersey, the shorts, and the shoes, and the sweatband for no game. Like, oh, you about to play a game? No, nah, I just felt like wearing my uniform. Like, be, be, it'd be disturbing if you saw a police officer with all of his gear on, and you said, hey, police officer, I need your help. And he's like, oh, I'm not working. I just felt like I was just, you know, thought I would just wear this. It'd make no sense. Brothers and sisters, we have the whole armor of God on because we're in battle. From the youngest to the oldest, we're in a battle. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. J. Vernon McGee in his commentary says the, the panoplia of God, the armor of God, the whole armor of God is needed and available to meet the methodia of the devil. Here's why I say that. This word schemes here, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's the Greek word methodia. It's where we get our English word methods. The definition that we see in the Greek lexicon is this, this cunningness, this cunning art, deceitful craftiness, the trickery schemes of the devil. The word method defined by the Webster's Dictionary is a, it's a procedure or a process for attaining an object, that a method is constructed to obtain something. So as you look at verse 11 with me on the screen, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the methods of the devil, the methodia, the schemes, the, the plans. Some translations say the strategies of the devil. Did you know, because you should know, that you're, you have an enemy that is strategizing against you? you got to be strategizing against him. I once heard somebody say, I don't know if it's really true or not, I just heard somebody say, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Right? you got to watch out for them. That you have an enemy who is scheming, divulging methods He's taking notes, watching you. 
and has a whole legion of demonic forces doing the same thing that he could attain an object. What's the objective of the devil? To kill you, to destroy your marriage, to wreck your home, to kill your witness, to take away your joy. He would love to do all of those things. We're exposing that. The Oxford Dictionary says a method is a particular form or procedure for accomplishing or approaching something. A systematic approach to something. I I just give energy to that because I want you to know that the enemy, the devil, is strategic in how he wants to take you out. That's why you got to have the armor on. Because while the enemy is trying to divulge this plan, you got to be able to, come on, you got to be able to stand firm. You got to be able to stand in the middle of this storm with tornadoes going on around you, with a tidal wave of the enemy crushing over you. God's saying, stand. Stand. He doesn't say run, He says, stand. It's not that we're standing to obtain victory. It's that you're standing in victory. It's not that you're fighting to get a victory. I need to stand so I can win this battle. It's that the battle's already won and you're standing in it. There's a posture of standing that you have to take into this battle. The NLT says so that you can stand against the strategies of the devil. The King James Version says the wiles of the devil. I looked up the word wiles. It's, it's the different plans and schemes and methods. The devil has these wiles to destroy you. A scheme is a large-scale plan. A scheme is an arrangement for attaining a particular object to put into effect. The devil has been scheming against you. He has an entire playbook against you. I'm an athlete, so sometimes I, I think in athletic illustrations, there's a playbook that would like to take you out. John 10.10 10 says that the thief is another name for the devil. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You might make friendship with the devil and think that that's cool. He might cunningly, like he did with Adam and Eve, distract you with some fruit. Just know he only has one agenda. To steal, kill, and destroy you. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I came as well. That you may have life. Come on, don't just cut it off right there, but have it abundantly. Amen? I like abundant life. Now, this isn't materialistic abundant life. This is a a scripture that's true for poor people and for rich people. Right? Our treasures are in heaven. Come on, right? He's saying an abundant life looks like killing the enemy that wants to kill you and doing it alongside a family that's on mission as well, right? This is the abundant life that God has for us, and he's going to sprinkle some icing in there as well that's going to bless you and your family. I believe that to be true. He says, but you have to have the armor on if you're going to make it. He hates you. And I really believe that there's some major reasons why the enemy hates you. I want to just give you some reasons why this adversary, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the thief, hates you so much. Jesus, in a specific scripture in the Gospel of John, is writing to the religious elite, 
And I believe we can even apply the scripture to us here today. In John chapter 8, he says, You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. We stand in the truth, amen? The devil does not. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil speaks in lies. you got to be careful not to listen to the enemy's voice because he's lying to you. Amen? And here's what Jesus says. He was once our father. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and religious elite who don't see Jesus as the Savior. Anybody who doesn't see Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. This is a bold and radical claim, but it wasn't my claim. It was Christ. I'm just the mailman right here. All right, George, right? I'm just delivering you what he said. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would even be willing to stand upon the word of God to say you're not a child of God this morning. You're a creation of God, which gives you dignity and value because you're created in his image. It doesn't make you a part of the family. You have not been adopted into his family yet. In fact, you're a part of a different family. If today you would say, I'm not, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I got invited to church and I'm glad I'm here, but I'm not saved. I don't, I don't see Jesus as my savior and my Lord. Well, you have a father. His name is the devil, and your will is to do his will. Your will is to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And so what happens in the gospel and why the devil hates you so much and you online so much is because while you were doing your father's will, while you had a father named the devil, at some point Jesus said, I'm taking you out of this family. I'm giving you a new will. I'm giving you a new desire. And this father, the devil, is like, hey, you can't take away my family like that. You can't take away. Listen to me, church. The devil hates you because it's personal. The devil hates you because he feels like a family member got ripped from him. The devil's like, yo, I I had all these plans for Balthazar. The devil's like, I had all these plans for Chloe. I had all these plans for you, Mike. I wanted to use you to destroy stuff. The devil's like, hey, Hayden, I was going to use you. I had a great plan for you to, to ruin things. I was going to use you to tear up the city. And then Jesus came and interrupted that thing. Amen? Right? And Jesus changes you. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 4 is so key. Remember, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. What does it mean to be adopted? You have to recognize you were part of another family. The devil was leading you. He might still be leading you. But today, you could be adopted. Today, you could be saved Today you could be rescued out of that trafficking of the devil and be put into a new family, the family of God, where you have a new Savior, a better Savior, a real Savior, not a fabricated false Savior, a Savior named Jesus who has a plan for you that's greater than the devil's plan. 
He predestined you for adoption to himself. God didn't save you to do ministry. God saved you for himself. God didn't save you so you could save the world. No, he does that. He saved you so you could be with him. He saved you because he wants you. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You got the devil's will. You got God's will. It's so personal. You, maybe it's just me, but do you ever wake up and you feel like, man, I'm under attack. Do you ever go through the day and feel like, I'm under attack? Do you ever go through the day and feel like, I'm in a battle? Check this out. You are. Who's lying to you? Come on, Rebecca. Who's lying to you? Say, you're not in a battle. It's you're just going crazy. No, no, you're in a battle. There's real warfare. It's spiritual. It's, it's personal. It's deep. You got adopted into a new family. Now the devil's watching you. He's like, man, I, you used to be on my team. I'm upset. I'm an NBA fan. I was recently watching some basketball games, right? Uh, I was watching the Houston Rockets play the Washington Wizards, right? And they interviewed John Wall and Russell Westbrook, who recently got traded on the different teams. When they played together, they said, it's personal. I used to play on that team. I used to play in that city. Now we're on different teams. The devil is looking at you saying, you used to play on my team. And now you traded. And I don't like it. I'm going to destroy you. And that's why you got to stand firm in your new identity. You know what the devil would love the most? He would love for you to go back to him and say, I'm just going to just jump back on your team. It's easier that way. Just go ahead and destroy my life. No, you got to stand. You got to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's strategic. Like, feel free to be strategic on how you're going to stand. Write out a plan on how you're going to stand. Go up to somebody you trust and say, help me stand. Don't let me fall. Don't let me go backwards. I need to go forward. Help me stand. I was, I can remember playing college basketball. I had the Blessing of playing Division I college ball at a school called James Madison. Remember my sophomore year of college, we were gearing up for a big game against Davidson. Uh, Davidson was featuring a star-stouted young man named Steph Curry at the time. And I remember in practice getting ready for this game, and I remember we watched a whole game film from Davidson's previous game. And our coach said, all right, everybody watch number 30. This whole game, just watch him. This is who we're about to play. And he said, we got to be prepared for every strategic move of Steph. I remember in practice, we were, we were left, right, behind us, around us. We just got ready, ready, ready for this game because our opponent was about to try to win against us, right? I remember we got into the game and everybody froze up and Steph Curry lit us up. But, but, but I remember getting ready, though. I was so big ready for that game. Like, so much so that when Steph Curry stepped on the court, we were like, he's done. He won't even touch the ball. I promise you. Our coach was like, if he touches the ball, you're coming out. And we weren't ready for that. He had some other schemes ready for us. But 
if we were that strategic in sports, come on, church, right? We need to get more strategic against the enemy, right? You need to get prepared for the strategies and methods, the playbook of the devil. You got to know, if you, if you get tempted when you're tired, just go to sleep. If you get tempted when you're hungry, get you a snack, all right? If you get tempted when you're bored, go run. If, you, if the enemy sees an opportunity to take you out when you're by yourself, get around some people, right? You got to learn the tactics. When, do you, when are you most susceptible, whatever the word I'm thinking of, for the enemy's strategies? And you got to start making a plan. Be as detailed and extra as you can be. If you're married, help, ask your spouse to help you with your plan. Say, help me develop a plan to stand against the schemes of the devil, or else we're not going to make it through the year. To your kids, you got to say, hey, kids, I'm going to help you develop a plan against the schemes of the devil. Young adults, be ready for the schemes of the devil, the methods of the devil. Make a plan. Make a strategy so he won't win. By doing so, you'll be able to live out Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Scroll back a couple years ago. It says, be angry and do not sin. Remember that you can go listen to this sermon. Maybe it'll be helpful. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. When you're angry, you, there's actually a biblical form of anger. Not all anger is bad. There's such thing as called a righteous anger. I've found that more often I don't go right to righteous anger. There are moments, but most times anger leads to sin. So it says, be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do your best to make it right. Call somebody, text somebody, and give no opportunity to the devil. This text right here, if you're going to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, you got to stop giving them opportunities. Amen? Like, I think a lot of our problem is we give the devil just too much opportunity. We're like giving the devil a layup into our lives. We don't have boundaries. We don't have real friends. We don't really engage in church. We don't really use the sword. Come on, right? We got to stop giving him an opportunity to war against us. The, the devil is a leader, he's a bad leader. But he's a leader. He's leading a whole army. You can't give him an inch. He'll take a mile. Don't give the enemy a single opportunity. That's why I think, I think it's important. This is a prophetic word. I felt like, God, that we have to do it together. So will difficult, uncomfortable conversations happen in church? Yeah. Now, should we do it gentle and kind and loving and respectful? Yeah. But, friend, I don't... I hope you wouldn't let me fall. Help me stand. Help the person next to you stand. Help the person behind you stand. We need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Don't let him have an opportunity. If you see somebody giving the devil an opportunity, that's your opportunity to jump in and say, no opportunity for the devil here. We're not letting him creep in. Genesis chapter 4 says, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is trying to get underneath the door in your life. This is what happened with Cain and Abel. Sin was crouching in. 
Don't give them a, a, a moment. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about the schemes, the method. I just want to spend a little bit more time on the devil. Again, Jesus refers to Satan, the devil, with both names. The devil makes his way out as far as that language in the New Testament, but Jesus uses the phrases interchangeably. They both mean adversary, the one who accuses you, the one who slanders you. So the devil actually goes back and forth from earth to heaven telling on you. And if you don't have blood, namely the blood of Jesus to cover you, you're going to have to pay for your sins, and the devil will make sure of it. But if you are covered by the blood, you can make war against this satanic figure. You can make war against this devil who has been scheming. Lemuel Haynes, the, one of the first African-American preachers in the country of America, we highlighted him on our Black History Month highlight this past week on social media. He once preached a powerful sermon. He said, Satan is a very successful preacher. He draws a great number after him. No preacher can command hearers like him. He mixes truth with error in order to make it go well or to carry his point out. Satan is a very laborious, wearied preacher. He has been in the ministry almost 6,000 years, and yet his zeal is not the least abated. Don't try to think that you're more crafty than this snake. He's got 6,000 years of ministry under his belt. He knows the Bible better than you do. He's going to use it to actually deceive you into sin. And he's doing it today. People all over the place trying to use Bible verses out of context to try to justify their sin. That's just the devil whispering truth in their ears mixed with error. He mixes truth with error in order to make it go well. We need to be sharper than that. R. Kent Hughes says he has been honing his methods for a millennia. His emissaries visited the church councils at Nicaea and Chalcedon. He sat in on medieval faculty meetings. He is an accomplished philosopher, theologian, and psychologist. He has thousands of years to study. You think he's impressed with you? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The Bible uses two different animals to describe the devil. And I want to just highlight these just so you're aware. In the garden, this devil is referred to as a serpent, a snake, some type of serpent creature. If it wasn't a snake, it was something that was crafty. Something that was deceptive, something that had a cunning, manipulative spirit. And when you're being manipulated, you may want to think, is the devil near me right now? In fact, one time Jesus looked at the, the disciple Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Spoke right to Peter. Because Peter was trying to manipulate Jesus into doing something that was anti the will of God. Satan might jump on somebody just to try to use them to take you out. And you got to be even able to tell your closest friend, Peter, say, get behind me, Satan. I'm not doing that. 
Don't give me the stuff like this. Oh, well, I didn't want to offend them. You better offend the devil. Even if he's trying to offend you through somebody. I love you. I just don't love the devil that's influencing you. Get behind me, Satan. He says the devil is like a serpent. He's crafty and cunning. In 1 Peter 5, he says the devil is like a lion. Look at this text, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. If you, ask, if you have to ask how many is too many, you're asking the wrong question. You already are off. If that's your heart and motivation, can, how close to the line can I get before I fall off? That, the devil is just going to bump you. I want to be far away from the line. If I get bumped, I want to bump into a Christian. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Some of you guys are sleeping. You're just kind of just, just, no, no, I don't have, I'm not in a war until you get your head cut off. Be watchful. Some of your Bible translations say be alert. Be awake. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Looking for it. He's looking for it. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not a special case when you're tempted by the devil. You're actually right a part of the family. If you said, hey, Hyden, Pastor Hyden, is, is it normal to have like attacks from Satan? I'd say, yeah. You must be doing something right. <laughs> you must be on his list. But it doesn't get easier. I remember my brother Peter Casella once telling me, he said, Pastor Hyden, it doesn't get easier, but it does get better. I love that phrase right there. Amen. Come on. Shout out to Pete. But he was on watch. He was on alert. He would tell me, resist him. You got to be able to resist the devil. You can't resist if you're not standing firm. If you're wobbly and wavering and you don't got no word in you and you're living in sin and you're not sober-minded, you're not watchful, how are you going to resist anything? Your resistance is going to get pushed down in a moment. Notice when Jesus was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went up to the wilderness, he was fasting and praying, and the devil thought, this is when I can get him. He's by himself, he's hungry, he's alone. Just notice Satan's playbook here. When you're by yourself, he's going to attack you. When you're tired and exhausted, he'll attack you because he knows you can't resist at that same level. That's why we need to be fed. That's why we need to be full. Resist him firm in your faith. James chapter 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a promise. James chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, he says, be humble. Don't be proud. Have a spirit of humility. Resist the devil. He'll leave. And then he'll come back and look for another moment. Look at this verse right here. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around. Say this word with me. Like. I believe the devil hates God so much. God, the real lion, amen? The lion of Judah, the lion, the roaring king of kings, lion. And the devil says, I can be that. The devil's a counterfeit lion. He prowls around like a lion. 
You might have to just speak back to the devil and say, you ain't even a real lion. Stop trying to be a lion. You're a fake lion. I'm standing. I'm standing against your schemes, you faker. And the devil will say, all right, I'll be back tomorrow. In fact, you know, the, the, the devil will actually just go find somebody who's not standing and say, he doesn't know I'm a fake lion. I'm a flea. You resisted me. I'm going to flee from you and go find somebody else who I can jump on and devour. That's why we need each other. Amen? That's why we need each other. The devil's like a crafty serpent. The devil's a fake lion. Now look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Paul says, no wonder the Corinthian church is experiencing all types of sexual sin and temptation. Paul says, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Some of y'all are looking for the big red monster with a pitchfork. The devil goes, that's one of my tricks. The devil actually is disguising himself as an angel of light. I wouldn't be surprised if the devil was sitting in here looking all pretty with his Bible out. The devil is not showing up obvious. The devil is showing up in an angelic form to deceive you and twist the word of God just a little bit. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent here, but if you study other, what we would believe to be false religious faiths, you'll see an encounter with a person and an angelic figure. This is the testimony of Joseph Smith in the Mormon faith. This is the testimony in Islam. There's this testimony that says, at some point, I had an encounter with an angel who said, let me just change the Bible a little bit. Write it down. It's true. For real. It's, it, it, the Bible wasn't fully true. God didn't get, God didn't get it right. He, he wants to use you. It's the same message he told Eve. Did God really say that? Here's what, he, here's what he meant. You gotta recognize these angels are not the truth. They're a disguise. So it's no surprise if his servants, because this devil has servants, disguise themselves as, as well. These, ser- the, these disguised servants are disguising themselves with righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul says, you got to be, be watchful, be alert. Look for the crazy, sinful, demonic stuff, for sure. And then look for the angelic lights that are just off enough. Twisting the word of God just enough to deceive you. Don't fall for it. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might resist the devil who's scheming against you. Stand firm, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Friends, church, everybody, lean in and let me see your eyes. You got to hear me. Church, you got to hear me. If you hear me, say, I hear you. Come on, if you hear me, say, I hear you. We're not wrestling against each other. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's us. 
Do me a favor real quick, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to really do it. If you're in the comment section, do it on the comments. Look at the person next to you. Look him in the eyes and say, you're not the enemy. Does that feel good? Can I just be honest with you? Be super transparent. Let me keep it 100. I can't count how many times throughout Nina and I's nine and a half years of marriage where I've had to look at her and she's had to look at me and say, you're not the enemy. He's here. The enemy is here. But it's not you. Sometimes it takes us a moment to recognize that. Or you might be here at church with a brother or sister that offended you or that bothered you or that convicted you or that said something in a way that you didn't like it. But friend, listen, they're not the enemy. The enemy is actually the one that's saying, hey, you didn't really like that, did you? You should probably leave and never come back. <laughs> you got to be able to recognize that voice. What I've noticed about church people, most times they don't even know that they offended you. That's the beauty of correction. Hey, brother, when you did that, it, it bothered me. I didn't even know it. I'm sorry. How do we help each other? The, the devil is the enemy. His rulers, his authorities, his cosmic powers over this present darkness that we live in, that's the enemy. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that's the enemy. Friend, our battle is spiritual. You got to be able to look at people, flesh and blood, and say, you're not my enemy. I don't I'm probably not going to be your best friend, but you're not my enemy. We have an enemy. We do. Right? And he, here, here's the description. I love how Paul is giving us description. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but church, get, get, get this. We do wrestle. You've got to be ready to wrestle. Don't act like you're not going to wrestle if you're going to walk this faith out. Here's your wrestling match. It's against rulers, powers, some translation says, authorities, demonic forces that are an authority over demonic realms. Hate Christians. Hate Christ. There was once a moment in the book of Acts, literally, where there's these demonic forces beating up a guy. This really happened in the book of Acts. And, the, and the, there was a breakup moment of what this, this happened. This guy was being tortured. And they said, we know about Jesus. We even know about Paul. But who are you? Right? We should live such a life that the, the devil knows our name. Right? Because we're making an impact on this dark world. The rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Remember, in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, this world is ruled by the devil. This world is ruled by Satan and its cosmic powers. The spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Like I said, if you read the book of Job, you'll find that Satan was going up to heaven, beefing with the angels. 
beefing with God and saying, hey, God, I want to go ahead and tempt Job. I want to take, take him out. I want to take his family out. And God allowed it to happen for his own purposes. And God was making a point that was saying, even my son Job will not turn against me. Now, Job was darn close, but he didn't. This, this battle, this, this spiritual realm is, is messy. As we, as we are about to close right now, I just want to remind us that every spiritual ruler and authority and power has been dismantled, has actually already lost. They're still shooting their ammo, but the battle has already been won. I love how Paul says it in Colossians 2, and we're almost done. He says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Amen? Like Jesus disarmed them. <laughs> like we need to have the armor on. This is armor battle. This is armor language. Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen? Like when Jesus was on the cross, bloodshed, nail-pierced hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, the spiritual rulers and authorities were cheering until the moment they said, oh, this is spiritual suicide for us. The one we're destroying will actually be the savior of us, right? And then he rose from the grave and disarmed everybody. This is the gospel we believe in. I love how Watchman Nee says it in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand. He says, sitting describes our position with Christ in the heavenlies. Walking is the practical outworking of the heavenly position here on earth. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's, and therefore ours. Nearly all the weapons of our warfare described in Ephesians are purely defensive. We're on the winning team, church. You've got to hear that. You've got to receive that. You've got to believe, believe that. I'm going to ask my brother Vashon to come on up here, and we're going to get ready to sing a song of response, a song of victory. As we get ready to do that, I want us to just look at our final verse, uh, verse 13. Verse 13 says, therefore, right, so in light of the last 40 minutes of my preaching, in light of verse 10 and 11, which says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against every ruler and authority and principality of the heavenly places and the evil. Therefore, because of all that, are y'all still with me, church? Because of all that, take up the whole armor of God. He says the same thing again, because you already forgot it. <laughs> You're probably like me, right? Like Nina's like, don't forget your keys, and I'm like, all right, and I'm, dang. Don't walk out of here without the armor on. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all that I've just said, stand firm. Amen? Have you done, all, have you done everything? Friend, this is not easy. That's why the Bible says run the race with endurance, perseverance, faithfulness, 
patience. The, the, the King James Version calls it long-suffering. Nobody wants to suffer for a long time. This is what you signed up for. Jesus promises to be with us in our suffering. He promises to equip us for the battle. So having done all, friend, stand firm. Lock in. Come on, everybody say lock in. Lock in. I'm going to pray right now, and I have two closing response moments for us. Number one, everybody say number one. Number one, I want you to do something when you leave here today. We have these wristbands made. They're packaged. Nobody touched them, at least here. Praise the Lord, right? And here's what they say. They say, help me stand. Ephesians 6, 11. And I want you to do this. I want you to grab a wristband and then grab another one to give to somebody who's going to help you. All right? Like, like I came up to Vashon. I came up to Pastor Mike. I came up to different leaders. I came up to Wes. The first person I gave this to was Nina. And I looked at them and I just said, yo, help me stand. I can't stand on my own. And I want you to find somebody here today, and I want you to give this to them with authority and say, help me to stand. Will you wear this and help me stand? I'll wear mine. Will you wear yours? Can we have that openness together? Help me to stand. Amen? I want you to do that. They're right over here by Andreas. You can find all the wristbands there. If we run out, come on, we'll make some more. But grab, if you need to grab a couple, grab a few. If you need to give them out to different people. But only give them out to people that are, gonna help, that are standing too. Yeah. <laughs> right? You don't need to give it out to a yes man. Hey, will you help me stand? Yeah. Hey, you down to go sin? Yeah. No, d- d- <laughs> don't give it to that person. Give it to somebody who's going to help you stand. Amen? That's called blind leading the blind. Both fall into the pit. Second is that I want us to worship right now, and we're going to worship to a new song. Uh, My brother Vashon and I have been collaborating for the past month or two, and we've been praying over this series, and we've sensed a lot of warfare even in the songwriting journey, but we feel like God gave us a song about standing and standing firm on the promises of God and standing firm against the devil and his power. So we're going to release the song for the first time right now. Amen? And hopefully in the coming weeks, you'll be able to see it on Spotify, Apple Music, etc., and watch the video on YouTube as well. We'll be working on all that. But we're going to release it today and want to invite you to sing to it as well. Come on, let's just stand right now and let me pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for everybody that's in the house today. Help us to stand. Help us to stand firm in your promises. Help us to stand firm in your power. God, if anybody today doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray right now that they would get saved. I pray right now that they would respond in in, in faith. They would say, Jesus, I'm ready to stand. You'd say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, heal me. I repent of my sins, and I turn to Christ. Lord, help me to stand. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now, Lord, that you would fill me with your presence and you would fill me with your power. Help me stand. The devil has been defeated. He has no power over me. I'm standing firm on the promises of God. 
I'm standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm standing firm with my brothers and sisters here today. I will stand in his power. I will stand against the enemy. Jesus, you have done it all. It's not about what we can do. It's about what's already done. So as we respond in worship, give us faith to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.